Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Welcome to another episode of Play by Players. I am your host, Bobby Boswell. Today's guest comes to us with a long and illustrious career already under his belt. And before you think I've got some old gray-haired guy like myself on the podcast, know that this man is only 27 years old and playing some of the best soccer of his career. He has played over 325 MLS games with the New England Revolution and Austin FC. He was the youngest player in MLS to reach 300 appearances. He is in the elite 50 goals, 50 assists club. He is a fan favorite in New England and a current fan favorite for Austin FC. Please welcome to the podcast, Diego Fagundes. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I was uh, before we started, I was looking at your setup there. What, what? Tell us about that room you're in right now. It looks like you got a gaming chair. Yeah, this is my gaming room. This is where I get away from soccer a little bit, um, especially the day of the game. Uh, just to come out here, game a little bit, stream a little bit um sometimes i even watch soccer games here because i have a couch in the back relax get away from the kids you know um it's my getaway i even have a little lock on the door where you need a passcode so no one can bother me there you go you went from like a a, maybe a man cave up in the northeast to uh to just like a a man room in in texas right exactly (laughs) all right well uh i made sure to call you a man in the opening because you are a man but when i think back to playing against you i was there for uh playing against you when you were 15 years old, 16 years old. And I just remember going uh, into any game and I was like, I cannot believe I'm going to have to chase this kid around for 90 plus minutes. So it's, uh, it's surreal for me as a former player to think that you've been in the league over a decade. Um, You know, how do, how do you feel? uh, You know, do you still feel like a a young spry buck or are you, are you kind of like uh, I'm, I'm both that and a veteran at the same time? I think I'm both. I think sometimes I feel young, sometimes I feel old. It all it all depends who I'm talking to. Um, it's actually funny you say that because like uh, I was talking to some people and there's not a lot of players from when I first started in this league. Um, and it's just crazy. People don't realize that I'm only 27. They think I'm 30 or 31. And here I am. I'm still haven't hit prime yet. So hopefully I can keep going. And like you said, um, I feel good right now. Body feels good. And um, that's the best way to feel right now. Yeah, that's the most important part, right? As long as the body holds up, um, everything else is good. A lot of those guys that aren't in the league anymore are now coaches. So I'm sure uh, every trip you go on, you probably know uh, one of the opposing coaches or assistant coaches. That's got to be pretty cool. Um, I always like to say when, you know, I prepare for these things and in your story, in your case, it was really interesting. Um, We've got some people that always fact check me. I do my best. But uh, for you, there's just so many records that you've held in the league because of your age and your longevity already. So uh, for this podcast, I don't want to hear any of you guys jumping in. My mention saying uh, I forgot this one or that one. I did my best to highlight the ones that caught my attention. Um, but I also look at how long you're probably going to play. And when it's all said and done after another decade, who knows what records you'll hold. And, um, but let's, let's talk about you. Let's take it back to the beginning. Your story is very interesting in that it starts uh, in the soccer-rich continent, I'll say, and the soccer-rich country of Uruguay. Uh, For those that speak gringo, that's Uruguay, uh, expand your horizons. 
But talk to me a little bit about what it was like. Um, I know you moved pretty early, but uh, just talk to the people that don't know much about Uruguay and, and what, what kind of country and what it's like. No, Uruguay, we're only, there's only 3 million people there. Um, it's not a really big country. Um, it's not a rich country or anything, but soccer thing, soccer is passionate. And that's the one thing that brings people together. Um, no matter who you are or where you come, when you go to the beach, you see people playing with a soccer ball and then the conversation starts. So it's, it's, it's small, but everybody gets along. Um, it's the culture there is amazing. We eat a lot of meat. Um, we're always having barbecues outside. Um, not the barbecue we have here in Texas, but the asado kind of barbecue, we should say. Um, uh, and that culture, I still, I still, I still live it, still do everything possible to, uh, tr uh teach it to my kids. Um, and that's something that hopefully I can keep it going. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about your family, uh, more, more specifically on your parents, more than, uh, your children. But, um, you know, I, I saw you moved away when you were five. Uh, I saw a thing with your dad that was really interesting. We'll talk about your dad and his career um, that he went to visit family in, in the U.S. and was like, we should do this. And it, it's kind of like, OK, yeah, let's go. And, and you end up moving to the Northeast. Um, I always butcher names of cities from the Northeast. I'm going to say, uh, is it Lemonster? Lemonster, yeah. Lemonster. OK, Lemonster, Massachusetts. Um, you know, I'm assuming that most of your memories growing up were, were in Massachusetts. Is that right? Yeah. So when I was five years old, I came to the U.S. Um, and my parents both want my, my dad asked my mom, where do you want to live? And she kind of pointed at the map in Massachusetts and literally pointed to Lemonster. And um, in 2000, we actually moved there. And two years ago, uh, not even two years, a year and a half ago, I basically moved out of there for the first time. Um, so it's been quite a wild to have there a lot of memories there um i actually went back a couple weeks ago for a wedding and um it was actually nice to be back after a year and a half um but texas is my new home right now um it's here it's amazing the wait, weather wait. hey we'll, we'll get into texas i i just i i like to point out that um you know you are a notable person in lemonster uh that that's important right it's like where you're from they recognize you you're like a local celebrity um and and for those that don't know, like in, in Texas, I feel like you have to explain to people because you say like I never left that Massachusetts other than traveling until uh, two years ago. I'm sure, you know, Austin's a little more traveled than other parts of Texas, more cultured. But there's people in Texas where, you know, you, they say I'm from out west and that's like 30 minutes west. Meaning they don't they don't have a good generalization of, of space and time. Um, it's funny you you know. because people here 20 minutes 30 minutes is far for them back home and when when i was living in lemonster i was driving 45 minutes to practice that's not far here you drive 25 30 minutes like whoa wait a that's second. just austin for the record because uh you can't go anywhere you can drive an hour in houston and you're on just the other side of houston so but anyway <laughs> uh, i love new i love all the guys i've played with and, and guys from new england um you, you guys are not short of uh confidence that's for sure um, you know, you grew up in the dynasty era of sports in, in, in that region. But, um, you know, for me, the other thing that's really big is a lot of people from up that part of the country are really big into their family, uh, their family life. And when I, I told you we talk about this a little. Your father uh, obviously had a huge impact on your, you know, your life outcome and that he was a professional soccer player back in Uruguay. He was a goalkeeper. I'm assuming you had a ball attached to your foot from the day you could walk. 
basically, yeah, since I was since I was able to walk, maybe even I was born, they gave me a soccer ball. Um, and ever since then, it just soccer was passion for me. Um, my dad played it, so it's kind of you couldn't run away from it. And my mom would go to the games while she was pregnant. And then when I was born, they he still he played for a couple of years. And then after that, they they decided he wanted to come visit his uh, brother who lived here in Jersey. And he's like, you know what, maybe I could do this. And he retired and basically said, we're moving my family to the U.S. and hopefully for a better future. Um, and at the end of the day, I think uh, he, he feels that he feels that he made the right decision. Um, he he especially after I was able to sign pro, I feel like he gave up something for another for me to be able to have the life that I have now and my brother and my sister. So um, it's it's always special. And I always um, appreciate my parents with everything that they've done and help and support, because without them, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. And we'll get into something really cool that you did recently for your for your parents. Uh, you mentioned your siblings. Were they were they soccer players or athletes as well? I know. And I actually thought didn't your mom play soccer for a little bit, too. Yeah, my mom played soccer. Um, my brother tried it, um, tried being a goalkeeper, and he said he was, just couldn't run, was too tired quick. So we decided to let him do whatever he wants. Um, then he just he joined the Army, which was nice um, for something for him to do. Um, and then my sister did, did gymnastics her whole life. So um, we, were, we were a really sports family, um, but really it was only me, my mom, and my dad who played soccer. And do all of them, did, uh, is it a family tradition to put chocolate milk into uh, cereal or is that something that just Diego did? That, that, that's something Diego did. It doesn't do it anymore. <laughs> and for those that aren't aware, uh, Diego was on a show called MLS 36. Um, and that's a throwback to MLS, maybe 2.0. And what it was, was they picked feature players from around the league and they followed these guys for 36 hours before a game. It was the most hated thing by MLS coaches in the world, because at the time there wasn't a lot of media on what guys were doing. And uh, here you've got this young Diego uh, living his life at home. It was, I mean, yours was probably the most feel good story. The only thing I'll, the only thing I'll say was you went out on a boat the day before a game. Um, and I have to imagine that that was not well received in the locker room. Um, you mean the day of the game, the day of the game, <laughs> even better, even better. Uh, and I have to imagine that was like the, like that. I, I feel like your, it was your episode and then it just ended because they were like, uh, no coaches agreeing to do this ever again. I think my, mine might've been the last ep uh, episode, to be honest. but, um, yeah, no, I think, I think when I, when you're young, um, I think I was 17 at the time. I don't think you realize what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not supposed to be doing. And for me, I was just living life, like using some energy before the game. So I would go out there, ride a jet ski around and go around and just for 30, 40 minutes. And then I'd go home and that was, and then I rested basically. But um, I had to get a little bit something out. Um, now I do the opposite. Now I just sit here in my gaming room and game for a couple hours and relax and don't think about soccer at all. Well, just so we're clear, I, I was older than you and I still didn't know. Uh, I was still making bad decisions. So, uh, you know, it's nothing to do with being uh, 15, 16. It's, it's person to person. But that sounds like you've, you've corrected those wrongs. Um, let's talk about youth soccer. You, you play at uh, Lemonster Youth Soccer, then FC United, and you end up with the Boston Bolts. 
which has produced a lot of MLS talent, guys like Miles Robinson, Jay Heaps, Mike Besito, Charlie Davies, Chris Tierney, Aaron Mon, Shannon Williams, and yourself, to name a few. Um, was that an MLS feeder program when you were there, or was it just becoming one of those? No, I, I, it wasn't at all. Um, I think it was just randomly players were – that was probably the best club team there was. Um, so when I started with town soccer, I was basically – playing, doing well, scoring goals. Um, and then I basically wanted to take a, another step. Um, and someone told me to join club soccer. So then I joined FC United, played for a couple of years, won a couple of state cups and championships and stuff. And then, then from there, I basically said, what's the next step? And then uh, the Bulls were probably the best team there. So I said, you know what, I'm going to join them. And I had a coach um, who's basically a brother, uh, who I joined them. So then I, it was an easy switch for me to go and, and join them. And I was there for a couple of years and then basically um, joined the rest academy. Yeah. And how did, how did it come about that you joined the academy? I think you were 13, 14 years old when that happened. Yeah. So um, I joined the academy. I was 12. Um, and I remember I just was playing a tournament and we were in Connecticut. Um, and someone told me, Hey, come join the come join the academy and for me I was like yeah you know I like do I really want to join we're, we're doing well we have a good team we've been winning a lot um and I didn't really know much about it and then a friend of mine actually I started playing for them so I was like all right you know what? I'll go to um I'll go to the trials and Mario Pryot was um was at the um, was the coach so then I was like you know what? I'm gonna go Mario I know Mario from ODP so I'm gonna go and try out and made the team played for two years um, I think the first year I scored 25 goals. Second year, I think I scored 27 goals, something like that. Um, had two really good years. And then everything just happened. The dream came true. It was just, I don't know if you want me to tell you exactly. Yeah, no, no. And, and when he says everything happened, um, you know, he, he went on to sign uh, the first homegrown contract ever with the New England Revolution at the age of 15. Um, and I interrupted you there, but just just walk us through. Uh, how exciting was that for your family? How exciting was that for you? Um, it, it sounds to me, a lot of your story, um, you kind of always expect, you know, it sounds like you focus on the soccer, right? Like, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to play well. And it, these things seem to be taking care of themselves, but it still had to feel pretty good to sit back and go, wow, I'm, I'm one of the youngest players in the history of the United States or MLS at the time to, to sign a contract. Yeah, I think, uh, when I, when I was playing, it was just, I'm having fun. I'm playing, scoring goals. I knew there was, I, what I wanted to do was be a professional soccer player. So um, that never changed since I went to school. I always told my teachers, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. And of course they always told, you know, you need to focus on education, go to college. Um, but for me, I knew what I wanted um, and I kept working hard. We would go to the park, we would do that. And then um, I remember one day we had a practice um, and they told me that the general manager, which was Mike Burns at the time, said that they wanted to meet my parents because they haven't met them. And it was right before the, the refs had a, a game, the first team. And so we went up to the suite and it's me and my mom, my dad. I'm in the middle. I have a water bottle in my hand and we're just talking. And then suddenly the words come out where they're like, we want to offer you a first team contract. And I remember to myself, I had the water bottle and I didn't, couldn't stop drinking. I just kept drinking, kept drinking, kept drinking. I didn't know what to say. My mom's crying next to me. My dad is crying and happy. And then we finally, like those words finally hit us and we're like, wow, we couldn't believe it. And 
it was like a dream come true. Um, and then we were able to sign, um, my, my signature months later, my signature was on the contract and my parents had to sign the contract. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's actually pretty funny to like, know that my parents had to sign the first contract with me. Yeah, I think that's great. It's a family commitment. They're asking you to give up, um, you know, that, that college experience. And so I think that's important. I've been very vocal about um, you are the success story. There's a lot of guys and you've seen it throughout years where they sign guys to contracts. They probably shouldn't because they want to push that initiative. And, um, you know, it's like you were the the first one. And I, I want to say, you know, there's maybe been 11 others since you, meaning they, they realize that this isn't for everybody. Um, you know, the, the pure talented guys, some of them make it, but a lot of the guys don't. And, you know, you're asking them to give up some, some other part of their life. So it worked out for you. Um, I played with Freddie Adu in, in DC when he was 15, he signed at 14. Um, you know, were you, were you aware of, you know, that story and, 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 you know, he was, you know, probably still going then and, and, you know, but there was so much pressure put on him. Um, were you kind of aware of the good and the bad, or were you just more focused in an optimistic state of mind? Like I'm going to make this, it, it's going to work because of who I am. To be honest, everybody was telling me about the story. And of course I was hearing it and stuff, but, um, I didn't really mind hearing it, the good and the bad, because at the end of the day, it's what I wanted to do. Um, did I want to go to college? No, of course I, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. The one thing that I want, I said to myself, I said, I'm going to finish high school. Um, that's the one thing I wanted to do is finish high school because, um, like you never know what, how your career can go. It could be short, it could be long. It's, it's one of those things. So I finished high school and, um, it was a struggle because I was traveling with the first team and doing night school basically and doing online classes with the team while I was traveling. So it was tough, but I was able to graduate. Um, but at the same time, like you said, it, it, everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different path. And um, maybe people pressured him to do uh, things and push them hard. And um, it wasn't. Yeah, we don't have to go into Freddie. I was just curious as to as to what your mindset was. And a shout out to the uh, the Goodrich Academy, which is where you, you got your diploma yeah. from. Always give them credit for helping guys um, that aren't maybe the most traditional path. Um, let's talk about, you know, you're 15 years old, 16 years old. You can't even drive, so you got to get driven to practice early on. Um, but talk to us a little bit about living at home. And, um, you know, did you ever move out uh, of your parents' place? And, uh, you know, just just walk uh, listeners through what it was like in the early years living in the basement uh, of your parents' house, but you're a professional athlete. So the first uh, when I first signed, um, I was only 15 at the time. And it was like November, November 10th, I think 2010. That's when I signed. Um, and they basically told me, look, I finished the year with a with the academy and so I did. And my parents would take me to practice and stuff. And in 2011, they're like, all right, we want you to start training with the first team. So I was 16 and my parents, I couldn't drive. So my parents basically drove me to practice and that was an hour away, a hundred and what, 115 miles. So it was 55 and, and 55 back. Basically it was just something like that or 60 miles there, 60 miles back. but it was, it was just a long trip. And my mom would wake up in the morning, take me. She would wait for me outside, take a nap in the car, go shopping. My dad would do the same thing. Um, it was a commitment for them. It was something that they they had to do if this is what I wanted, if this is what they wanted out of me. Um, so that's that's why I always appreciate everything my parents have done for me. Um, 
but then it was 16. I had Matt Reese and as a teammate, I had Shari, Joseph, Chris Tierney. I had, I had good Kevin, Kevin Alston. I had good, uh, good teammates over there that um, brought me under their wing and basically helped me um, grow as a player. But at the same time, they, they knew what, what age I was and what they could do to me. So um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Talk, talk about finding your way in that team. Um, you know, you, you came in, uh, you know, the Stevie Nickel, Paul Mariner days were right, you know, leading up to you, you joining. And, and those guys were, uh, whether it was them or the locker room, uh, we've had several guys on this podcast that talk about how tough it was for young guys in that locker room, just because, um, you know, it was just the, the culture, the tradition, um, you know, I'm curious because you were so young, you might not have gotten the same treatment, but at the same time, uh, you know, you've been in a lot of locker rooms, guys, there's not a whole lot of preferential treatment. It's, it's, you're there to compete and and take someone's job. So they're going to treat you the same, whether you're 16 years old or or 36 years old. Um, You know, what, what was the hardest part uh, as a, as a, such a young guy going into a a locker room like that? I think the hardest part was, um, basically getting trust from them because here I am, I'm 16 training with them. And, and of course I'm having fun. I'm I'm out there doing things. And at first, yeah, I was nervous. And then you have some players, uh, some players come up to me and say, Hey, just be yourself, play, um, have fun. And, and that's when everything got loose. And after that, like uh, your teammates are going to respect you. They're going to help you as much. You're going to joke around. So the me being young didn't even, I don't think it even mattered to them. Um, they knew what, that I could play and that's what mattered to them. So, um, which was huge. Um, and that, that was a big part that helped me a lot. Um, they knew I could score goals. They knew I could make plays. Um, I think the hardest part was if I ever made one of them or something, you know, they, they always wanted to kick you and stuff, but, um, it, it, it was part of it. I knew what I was going into. Um, but I've always played against older people and bigger guys that, if I got kicked, I got kicked. It was part of the game. It, I had to get used to it. It wasn't something that I would have, to, I would get mad or anything. Um, I just stand up and do it again. Um, and then just, I think they, they challenged me and they made me a, a better player day by day and training by training. And they, they gave me the confidence to be one of them as well. Yeah. And, and you said you signed in 2010, um, you know, the next year is when you, you know, you really join the team and, and start um, making some contributions. Uh, one of the, the sweeter videos out there is, is your dad kind of walking through um, the experience of your first game. Uh, we both, you and I, made our debut in MLS against Chivas USA. I always say if there's a team you want to make your debut against, it's, it's Chivas USA. We can make fun of them. Rest in peace, Chivas USA. Um, but you know, you drew a penalty, I think, in that game, and you scored a goal. Um, I mean, you say you're worried about them trusting you, and then you go in there and do that. That had to be a really good uh, good way to start your career. So I, I played a couple Open Cup games before those and stuff and reserve games because we had the reserve league back in. Um, yep, so yep. It, it was it was something that I was, they were slowly getting me ready. Um, and I remember after we played Philly in a reserve league game, um, they came up to me and they're like, Hey, you're dressing this weekend. And I said, I'm dressing what me. And they're like, yeah, you're dressing. So I'm like, okay. So then of course the weekend comes and I get all dressed up, go to the game. Didn't really know what, what I had to do because it was a, something new to me and, um, game started. And I think we were down two zero at the time and 
I remember second half and I'm on the bench warming up and um, I think it was Stevie Nichol, I think it was, he pointed and he's like, come. And I was like, me? And I was looking around like, are you talking to me? And they were like, yeah, they said, yeah. And I was like, okay. So then I got nervous and stuff, went. And then I'm, I remember I, I was standing at half and I'm like, all right, this is, this is the, this is your day. This is the day you, everybody needs to know your name. And that's what I said to myself. I said, this is the day everybody needs to know your name, what you can do. Um, I went in there minute 76. I think I drew a PK for Shari um, and he was able to score. That was, I think my second touch of the game. Um, so that got me going and I was boosted and he was able to score. Then uh, Chivas gets another goal on us three, one and uh, minute 86, Kevin, uh, Kevin Austin just hits a long ball and Shari is about to go header. And I was like, leave it. And he actually let go and little pull on the tug and was able to slot um, with my left foot a goal. And I couldn't really celebrate. I tried to celebrate and I remember everybody's come on, let's go, let's go. But it, it was just an emotional, um, I think, I don't think it hit me till after the game and that I actually scored in my first professional game. Um, but it, it, it was kind of a bad one because we lost at the same time. So you couldn't really be happy or anything, but I, um, inside, you know, that you did, you, you did what you wanted and you showed people that um, what your name was and what you could do. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I, I just think that's so cool, especially when guys have success early on. Um, you know, just it builds the blocks. And again, a, a team where they don't really rely on young guys, it's got to send a great message to them. Like this guy can handle the moment. Um, so that's really cool. Um, I wanted to kind of pivot, right? There's a lot to talk about in New England. Um, you know, I don't, we don't want to hunker down year to year, but before we do that, let's, let's pivot back to the national team. Um, I had seen online, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you were you talked about ODP. It sounded like you were kind of in the mix uh, in the U.S. at like the 14, 15 uh, type range. But, um, you know, there's a lot online about what you did with Uruguay's uh, youth national team and the U-20s. So can you just tell me how uh, how do you end up playing for Uruguay um, in the, the South American championships? So when I first started with ODP and stuff, um, I basically made it to the top level that you can get there, national team, basically. And I went to a couple of national team camps with the U.S. Um, in Dallas. And um, my only issue was I wasn't a citizen, so I couldn't travel. Um, and I didn't have at the time I didn't I was I didn't have uh, my papers or anything, um, so I couldn't travel with them. So that kind of put me aside. And they basically said, look we can't take you uh, on these trips because of this reason. Um, if not, you would have. So then I basically stopped doing ODP because I was already, my age group was done. Um, and, and then my dad knew the coach uh, for the U20 Uruguay and my agent at the time basically started talking about me and stuff. And they saw a couple of videos and um, they gave me a call up to go try out and go, go show what I have on a friendly and, did well and then they invited me to go to the tournament and then um the south american championship and in, in uruguay too um which was amazing yeah no it had to be awesome you guys uh y'all finished third in that i think you i think you started two games and played in two more um you know you uh argentina ends up winning that i think colombia got second and y'all beat brazil i think in the third place game um which is really important down there because you're that set the stage for the U20 World Cup. I think y'all qualified for that. And then the Pan-America Games. 
um, you know, some, I always do my homework on, I love these, I love these tournaments just to see who the players are on the rosters and things like that. Some other notable names. Um, I think Mauro Minotes was a Colombian on the Colombian team. Aro um, was uh, on the Brazilian team. Those are MLS guys. And then your current teammate, uh, Jerusi, I don't pronounce his name. Sebastian Jerusi uh, was for Argentina. Am I saying that really badly? You actually said it perfect. So Okay, perfect. Um, that's what I meant. So I think it's, um, I always say that these tournaments seem like such a big confidence boost for players. But one, I don't think you were really short on confidence. And two, you had been playing uh, for a while. Uh, so it was one of those where maybe you didn't need it. But just just kind of talk to the listeners and say, um, you know, what was that tournament? What did it mean to you and your family being um, where they're from and, and going back there to, to really play in one of the bigger tournaments that they that they hosted? It's huge because my dad played in that tournament. So it's kind of a it brought back a lot of memories to everybody that uh, he was able to do that. And then for his son to be able to do that was something huge. So, um, and then I remember just going to the games and here I have what 30, 40 people in the stands, my aunts, my uncles, cousins, everybody's watching these games and was able to go and support me and stuff. So that was always nice. But um, I think no matter what national team you're representing, if you're um, that passion, that feeling is something special. Um, so when I got my opportunity to go there and represent Uruguay, it was, it was one of those things that you need to do everything you can to make sure that everybody knows that you're giving your all. Um, and that's what I went and did. Um, it was hard. I was away from family and I think, um, it, it didn't really help me as much because when you're close to family, you know, your mind is at a different place, you're happy and stuff and going away for a long time and not being able to see them or them for them to go to the game is, is tough. Um, but like I said, I think when you step on the field and you're representing a, a country, it's, it's something that you need to show everything you have. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, you said we'd get back to new England. Uh, just want to throw some numbers at you here. And nine of the 10 seasons you played there, you played in 19 or more games. Eight of the 10 seasons you played in 20 or more games. And six of the 10 seasons you played in 30 or more games. Uh, what that means to me is uh, you didn't just play in a lot of games. You played a ton of minutes. Um, if, if you had to summarize some of your best memories from your time there, um, what would you say uh, you took with you, you know, as a, as a New England Revolution player? Well, definitely my first couple of years, uh, that was a huge part of how, who I was. Um, first score my first goal. And then after that, I was able to start a game the next game. And um, I, I think it's a, I think I can brag that I scored um, against Casey Keller. Um, I think that's, that it's, I always say like, I, yeah, I scored against Casey Keller. Well, to me, that's amazing. Cause Casey Keller back in the day was amazing. And so it's, uh, shout out to him though too. Um, it, I remember. Hey, after against him, I remember he goes, "This little person scored on me on a header on a corner kick," and I had pink hair too. So imagine like you're gonna let him score. So it, that that's definitely one of my best memories that I have. And then um, the year I scored 13 goals, I think I was 18 years old, and um, doing that that was that was something special. Um, yeah, the, that was 2013. The 2013 season and then I think 14 right y'all go to MLS Cup yep. is that right yep. um and then I remember scoring uh what is it my 25th goal in the league that was one that was the youngest player to get to 25 or not 
the first the first homegrown player to get to 25 or something like this our yeah, youngest I I think you were youngest at 25 and youngest to 50, um, yeah, according correct. to my notes. Um, something like that. I don't, I don't really pay attention to those things. To, to me, I just want to do well for the team and score goals and uh, making sure that my career is long. Um, I think it's nice to accomplish all these things. Um, like right now, I was trying to – I was looking for that 60-60, and I was able to hit that record, and that was – now I'm the 13th player – uh, to get that in MLS, which is amazing. Um, and now we're still looking for more. Hopefully you get to 70, 70 and then 80, 80, 90, 90, you know, just keep going up from that. Um, so for me, it's, I just need to keep doing well, keep, uh, keep playing the best soccer I can and, and keep having fun. Yeah. And, and one of the big ones there was also you tied, um, you know, you talk about Shawri. I, I think anyone that played there, um, anyone that played with him or against him knows what kind of caliber player he was. You tied him for the uh, all-time appearance leader in club history. Um, and then um, we're going to move to Austin. But before we move to Austin, there is a, a really interesting thing about you. And I, I actually remember when this happened because um, it created kind of a, a bit of buzz in the U.S. soccer community. In 2013, you got your green card. Um, you kind of highlighted that there was an issue when you were with the U.S. Uh, youth teams that you couldn't travel. Um, Everyone was so excited because they're saying, oh, oh this kid's a, he's going to be a, a, a he's already a great talent. He's going to be even a better talent. He's going to join the U.S. men's national team. But what they didn't realize was uh, the naturalization laws were, were very stringent um, here in the U.S. And uh, they didn't understand how a guy could be born in another country, but live his whole life here and not be able to play for the country. And then you've got a guy that was born here moves away a month later to Europe and lives in Europe his whole life, but it is able to play for the U S in international competition. Um, were you aware uh, of, of these things going on, uh, these debates and, and, you know, I call this like the big soccer um, threads and, and, you know, I was aware of it as a player just cause it was fascinating where it was like, wait a minute, this guy can't play here. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Um, were you aware of, of these debates going on and what were your thoughts on them? Yeah, I was always aware. It, to be honest, it still happens now. Um, you go on Twitter and people are debating, hey, why doesn't he play for the U.S. national team? And um, it was tough because if I had the chance, of course I would have played. I would have never said no, um, even till now. Um, if there was a way to swap and play for the U.S. national team, it would be I would do it in a heartbeat quick and make it happen. Um, and maybe there is. Who knows? No one really knows the right answer. I think uh, maybe lawyers or people who are involved in that are the only ones that know that answer. Um, but I always said the only thing I can control is playing on the field and everything else just happens on the outside. Um, but yeah, these debates, I was always, um, I used to, yeah, these debates, I was always involved. Um, I was always there. I was always checking them out. And for me, it was hard to take because here I am, I'm doing well with MLS, but I can't go to the national team. So, it, but it's like I said, all I can do is control what, on the field and that's it okay well i appreciate you walking through that i know it's not always easy to talk about that people get really passionate and, and, it, and it creates all kinds of stemming it stems off into rear to on leadership and things but um let's let's talk about your ending in new england right you're there for 10 seasons um you know the coaching we you know there were a lot of coaching changes good or bad they are what they are um you know how did you uh, how did you end up deciding you didn't want to be there anymore? I know 
you you qualified at such a young age because of your years of experience for a free agent, which they, I always say, hey, MLSPA, that's one of our victories, right? Is a guy like you is able to make a decision to reject a contract that he doesn't really like. But um, how did you how did you decide it was time to uh, to leave New England? To be honest, it, it the decision really wasn't mine. Um, I wanted to stay in New England. I was happy. My family was there. Um, but I didn't feel no offense to them. I didn't feel the the coaching staff at the moment that they wanted me. They weren't using me at the right mo- uh, at the right position. Um, and then I had to decide basically what did I want to do. I was a free agent, and at the time, like I said, I think that was a good victory that we could get because young players didn't really have those rights and me being able to play all these years and be a free agent was huge at that moment. Um, so then I remember me and my dad, we were just at the lake and we were talking, we're like, what's next? What do we do? Um, and he goes, where do you want to go play? Uh, and my dad's my agent. So I said, you know what? Um, Austin would be amazing. It's a new team. Um, it would be a perfect situation for me. Um, something new. And the incredible part that someone must have been hearing me because three days after I have this conversation at the lake with my dad, we get a phone call and it's Claudio um, Reyna and Josh Wolf asking if I would be interested in coming. So um, it, it was like a wake up call. It was like, it was meant to be. And then when they told me what they were expecting from me and what they wanted out of me, then it was kind of an easy decision to make. And we talked over the phone and emails and going back and forth and we were able to make it work. And um, now here I am having a lot of fun here in Austin. Yeah. So some would say you left for greener pastures. Um, that's a terrible dad joke. Uh, that's part of what you get with me as the host. Um, talk to me a little bit. Obviously you're excited about um, going down there and, and they've, they've got a plan for you. Right. And, and I always say it, uh, sometimes moving is really good for guys because the the vision of the people that are there, they, they, they put you in a box, right? And now you get a fresh start. Um, you signed a one-year deal there, which I thought was interesting. It's almost like a prove-it type of contract. And maybe I have that wrong, but let's talk about your entrance into, um, you know, into Austin FC. You score the first goal in the history of the team, something that no one can take away from you. Um, something that will forever be in the history books. You were their first ever man of the match in the first home game, scored the first ever goal in the Open Cup uh, play against San Antonio. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you've cemented yourself as a fan favorite from day one. Um, I know you were a fan favorite in New England, but it's it's got to feel really cool with this Anshin team, um, you know, that you're you're the guy from really from the first whistle to be uh, to, to be there and to to kind of go through these crazy, uh, these crazy emotions. It, to, like you said, I think you, you said it the best way, like uh, being at a club for so long and giving it your all and then suddenly not feeling the right way, then the move was probably the best thing for me. And I got here and um, they welcomed me with open arms. They, the fans right away opened me up. They, they invited me to do things and um then when the season started, I was very excited for it. Um, the funny part about it all that it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the moment. It was that I wasn't supposed to be starting that game against Colorado um, because there was some issues with paperwork and a player that was there um, 
then I found out 20 minutes before the game that I was going to be starting. Um, and I remember I looked at my trainer and I was like, Hey, if I play today, I'm scoring. It was one of those days where I was feeling confident. I said that, and here it comes minute 60. Uh, I was able to tap it in back post. Um, and after that, it was just amazing. I felt like the, the team, the fans, everybody grew into me and I was just wanted to give the bet the most out of me. Um, and I think between the coaching staff and this organization, they are, they're taking, they're taking the best out of me. They're challenging me to new things. Um, and then the, this is why I'm playing my best soccer right now. Um, probably in my career. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I'm a, a big vocal person that I'd like to try to go see all the new stadiums. I've been to a game in Austin, stayed at the domain. Um, you know, what you guys have is lightning in a bottle, right? It's just an incredible atmosphere. Um, I joke around and say my my kids are Austin FC fans. Sorry to my Dynamo people, but um, they, for some reason, they went to the game and the atmosphere. Uh, they also love uh, uh, Ruti as their favorite player. Um, but it was, and he scored two goals, I think. Yeah, Y'all played Vancouver. Anyway, it was just, um, it was a really, really cool experience. I can't encourage listeners enough if uh if you're gonna go to an away game austin has got to be in the in the top you know two cities that i would recommend um you know what what's it been like from you like i I know that you love new england and you have a great history there but to compare um that experience for the fans versus the experience in austin it's it's not even in the same realm you know it's mls 1.0 to mls 3.0 just what's it like for you as a player to, to play your games there um, every other week? It's amazing. We get, we get chills going into that game to games. Um, we get a full house every game, no matter what the weather is, there's weather delays and fans are still there. Um, it's, it's amazing. Um, we hear them all game 90 minutes. They give their passion out. They do everything they can to make sure that they keep it going. Um, and I think last year it was, it was a tough year for us. We were a new team. It wasn't, things weren't going the right way, but our fans stood by us and kept trying to get everything out of us. Um, and I think that's one thing that I appreciate about it. Um, my kids, like you said, your kids enjoy it as much. My, my kids, they know every song now. Um, they, my, my daughter will look at the stands and say, I want to go there with Los Verdes at that behind the goal. And my dad has taken her there. That's, that's what she's, she loves my son too. They, they, they're, they go around the house, they're singing songs, they're chanting. I'm like, one of these days I'm going to put them as couples or something out there. Um, so it, it's amazing to see. And I think the organization definitely did it the right way here. They built a specific stadium for us. They, they wanted the best out of us and they, they're doing everything correct. Um, and then the fans, they're just bringing in an A game every single game, no matter if we're home or away. Um, all these traveling fans that we have are just amazing. Uh, I know you talked about you were on the water, uh, up, you know, you're a big boater. You were boating up. Uh, it sounds like you were boating with your dad when you made got made the decision that, or, hey, maybe I want to go to Austin. Um, I, I remember in the MLS 36, you had a huge pickup truck. It's almost like you were destined to be, uh, to be in Texas. Um, have you been able to... Uh, you know, you're an avid out, outdoorsman. I know you like to fish. Have you been able to partake in uh, some of the, the Texas lifestyle? And, and you know, uh, are you prepared? Were you prepared for how hot it was? And um, if so, are you able to uh, enjoy the, the things that Austin and the surrounding areas can offer you? 
to be honest, I think I was, I was meant to be born, I think in like Texas, to be honest, I have a big truck. Um, I like hunting and fishing. Um, it, it, I like being on the water, boating and stuff. So for me coming to Texas was like another day. It was normal. Uh, everybody, I still have my truck from 2013. I still have it. And everybody's like, Nate, you got a big truck. I'm like, yeah, you know, I've always had it, you know, and it was just normal to me. And then you come here and everybody has a truck. There's not one person who doesn't have a truck. Um, a lot of people, the outdoors, the hiking and stuff is there's so much to do. And to be honest, I haven't, I have probably haven't even done 40% of it yet. Um, so that's always exciting to know. Um, I try to get out there as much as I can. When people invite me to do things, I always say yes. Um, even with fans, they're like, hey, let's go play soccer golf. Hey, let's go hike. Let's go do this. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I want to get to know the city. I want to get to do fun things and, and interact with people. And that's who I am as a person. I like to talk to new people and I like to um, experience new things. Um, and that's something that in Austin, they've gave me the chance to do. Um, so Hopefully, hopefully I can get more out there, more fishing, because that's one thing that I definitely love to do. I haven't done a lot of it, um, but hopefully in the next year or so I can start getting more into it. Well, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're in Austin, uh, you know, slide into his DMs, offer him to, uh, to take him to do some cool stuff. You talked about uh, moving away um, for the first time. Uh, I saw something speaking of off the field things that was uh, really touched my heart. Um, you were able to buy your parents a house um, in Austin, have your family come be closer. You talked about your dad taking your kids to games and things like that. Um, walk us through how that, how that came about. And it's such a feel good story. Oh, um, when my parents, when my dad came, when we came to Austin, we drove from Boston all the way to Austin. So it was my truck and my dad, my best friend, my dog and a trailer full of house things. And um, we came here, we rented a, an apartment, uh, a t- little townhouse, and when my parents came to visit, they kind of fell in love right away. They're like, oh, the heat is amazing. They, they were on vacation, basically. So um, I was like, you know what? It's, it's nice. I have, a ba- I have a house in Boston, Lemster. And um, I told them one day, I was like, hey, would you guys consider moving? And they're like, yeah, why not? They didn't even hesitate. They're like, yeah, why not? And I was like, all right, well, let's sell the house in, in Lemster and, and you guys move here um so they they did they lived with me for a couple months and they actually didn't even know but I was already building my house um but then at the same time I started thinking you know what I'm gonna buy them a house and my mom or dad didn't know and I grabbed my realtor and we went to look at houses finally saw one this is when the market was not the best here in Austin but hey we could we, we we're still all happy and um, I went to see one and I, I fell in love and I was like, this is the perfect house for my parents. It's a three bedroom, small house for them. It's exactly what they needed. And we did everything possible so that they didn't know anything. Paperwork, everything was finally done. They gave me the keys from when I signed all the paperwork, I went straight to them and I called my mom. I'm like, Hey mom, um, you and dad want to come check out a house that I'm looking at? They didn't know I was already building, but so then I was like, Hey, you want to come check out a house? See if you like it or not. So my mom pulls, I go inside first. My mom and dad are behind and my mom goes, Oh, I think you showed me this one online. Yeah. This one's really nice. And I gave them the keys and I was like, well, enjoy your new home. And tears came. They couldn't believe it. My dad couldn't believe it. 
um, it was just something nice that I had to do. Um, I wanted my parents close to me and um, something that they deserved. And um, to this day, they, they still do a lot of things for me. And that's something that is special. And that's why I wanted them close to me. Yeah, when I when I saw that, I always I, I'd say like you have these MLS uh, MLS has made it moments, right? And I I say that's for me that's one of them where guys are buying their their parents' houses. Um, I think that was so cool, um, you know, just just an awesome feel good story. And again, we highlight it the front, right? It's your family is very important to you, and it's kind of a theme throughout your journey. And it looks like they'll still be there uh, go, for your journey going forward. Um, let's talk. Uh, back to the team in Austin, it seems like you talked about how um, the coaching staff has gotten the best out of you and kind of reinvigorated you. Um, it seems like you just from afar watching, it seems like you, you know, you're physically uh, stronger and, you know, maybe that's something to the regiment of the team. It seems also comparing New England to Austin, whether it's the city or the atmosphere, it seems like y'all are a little bit more laid back. The, uh, the culture is, is, uh, very different than maybe where you were. Um, I look at like your travel, your travel posts, right? You've got a big boom box, it seems like. And um, I, I want to say like a mate holder, um, you know, like your team mate, I'm, I'm imagining with Drusi and, and Aruti and some other guys, y'all got like a, a pretty good group. For those that don't know what mate is, tell, tell people it's part of your culture. It's part of your heritage. What, what is mate? Yeah, I think uh, it's a South American heritage because of the culture, because, and they do it in Brazil, they do it in Argentina, and they do it in Uruguay. I think Argentina and Uruguay are probably the two biggest places. And when you have players like Maxi Ruti, Seba Drusi, Emiliano Rigoni, and Felipe uh, Martins, like, how can you not drink mate? And we're always together. We play cards together. We hang out together. We go out to eat together. We're doing everything together. So, um, now that we're flying charter things to MLS, you know, it's, it's always nice that we can actually sit down, put music on the plane, hang out, talk, um, and, and just enjoy Um, but Mate, I think it's, it's, we get together and it's basically the best way to describe it is it's green tea, um, in this cup. So that's the best way to describe it. It's, uh, it's hard, but if you don't know what Mate is, I would consider just searching it up, uh, how to make Mate and look it up. It's actually pretty neat. Um, and it like, when you drink it and stuff, it like, helps you digest it, it it's there's a lot of good for it um people say it has caffeine i don't really feel the caffeine in it um and i'm not even a coffee drinker so um for some people it might have caffeine they might feel it more than others but i think for someone who drinks it every day hot cold it doesn't matter what the temperature is um we're drinking hot hot mate every day i feel like we're gonna get you a mate sponsorship uh, after this podcast comes out um <laughs> Uh, let's, you know, like I said, it seems maybe it was the transition to flying uh, charter. That's a, a big help, but it just seems like a really fun, cool atmosphere. I know y'all have had a lot of success this year. You're currently uh, in the race for the supporter shield. You know, you're going to you know look to make a big run at MLS cup as the season winds down. We don't want to look past that, but we are in this, uh, on this segment, um, your entire career has been filled with rumors. Uh, there's rumors that you were going to sign in Mexico. There's rumors you were going to sign in Italy. Uh, there's different European rumors. There were rumors you were going to sign in South America. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I know you've, you've been through the ringer and some of those were, 
the the fees were too high for New England. You know, four million dollars was a number put on you back when no one was was had a price tag like that because of your age and your talent. Um, you know, do you spend any time considering that? Have you thought about maybe playing in another league, or or do you just focus on you know what? I'm, I'm in Austin. I'm in New England. I'm only focused on MLS right now because that's where I'm at. To be honest, there was a lot of offers everywhere. Um, there is a lot that came. My dad as an agent, I think he did his work to make sure that that didn't distract me um, because that's the number one thing. Like I need to focus on, on the field and helping the team and everything else he deals with as my agent and my dad. So um, we do have conversations and he's like, Hey, look, like this came through. What are you thinking? And I got to a moment. Yeah. Like sometimes it's nice to hear that teams want you and that they want to buy you or they want to, they want you to go on loan or something. But at the end of the day, like, you need to focus on what you have in front of you. And, and that's one thing I told them this year, there was teams coming at me and they wanted me to go. And I basically told them, Hey, till the end of the year, I'm not going to do anything. Let me, let me finish the year strong. I let me, let me keep winning games. Let me keep doing what I've been doing. Um, and then once December comes and everything's over, then we can sit down and talk. And um, that's one thing I told my dad and that's what he's like, okay, you know, what? I'm going to start telling everybody no. And um, is there, my door, my door, I would never close it. If there's teams that are always interested, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to hear from them, but um, at the same time, I'm going to get, I'm going to be respectful and make sure that um, I'm focused on what I have in front of me. Um, right now I'm under contract with Austin. So um, I need to keep focusing on that. And then at the end of the year, that's when we, we can, we can sit down and talk to whoever. Yeah. And, and I bring that up really because um you know, if, if you play your whole career in MLS, um, I, I expect you to shatter um, records. And, and, you know, that's the that's the biggest thing, right, is is you you started so young and you started playing games. So young. I highlighted earlier how many, you know, you think you uh, this this season, it'll be like your 10th season, I think, playing over 30 games a season, which is just uh, which is crazy. And you're 27. So, um, you know, I, I highlight that because. I think it's really important to, uh, to to be able to leave a legacy behind where you're going to leave records that maybe are going to be untouchable, um, you know, for, for anybody. So that's really cool. Um, Diego is on social media. He's posting pictures of his life, his family, boating, fishing, his new hairstyles, animals, his abs. Uh, please follow along. Uh, if you enjoyed this, uh, this podcast, please follow him again, because of his age, uh, I would say, He's a great guy. He's a great player. So you can follow him for the next 10 years probably, and, and, and he'll be around. Um, I want to wish you good luck as the regular season comes to an end and into the postseason. I wish you well on your journey going forward. Um, if the next 10 years, next 10 seasons, or anything like the last 12, uh, you'll be a, more of a household name than you already are as one of the great still young attacking players in MLS. And I want to thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story with our listeners. It was uh, it was absolutely wonderful story. I'm glad you were able to tell everyone. That's Diego Fagundes, everybody. No, Bobby, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, like I said, it's it's an amazing time. Um, I just need to keep having fun. Uh, hopefully, many more years. Hopefully, many more records. And at the end of the day, is making sure the body is healthy. Um, and then in ten years, you can come and interview me again. And hopefully, yeah. we can. We can talk about those records. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, I All think right. people will be blown away. So uh, I'm looking forward that, to that it. That would be amazing because that would be another generation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You might be playing with your kids at that point. So, yeah. so thank, thank you. 
the plan. Thank you, Diego. I know. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at MLSplayers.org.